Hey there, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. On this podcast, we go in depth with leading experts from all walks of life to understand and improve your health and well being. This episode is dedicated entirely to our men today, as I'm talking with expert Dr. Gio Espinoza, who tells it like it is around all things testosterone, erectile issues, and your prostate. Dr. Gio is a naturopathic functional medicine doctor recognized as an authority in urology and men's health. He is faculty in urology at New York University and for the Institute for Functional Medicine. Dr. Gio is the first naturopathic physician to complete an internship, residency, and fellowship in urology at Columbia University in New York. As an avid researcher and writer, he has authored numerous scientific papers and books. He lectures both nationally and internationally on the application of science-based holistic treatments for urologic conditions. Men's health is immensely important and honestly misunderstood when it comes to testosterone. So it was an absolute pleasure to have Dr. Gio on today to give us the facts. Here's a clip from today's conversation. Testosterone is bound to several things. It's bound to what's called sex hormone binding globulin. So this is like a little, let's just call it a little taxi that brings in the testosterone and it's able to take testosterone around. Why? Because testosterone is lipid soluble. So it doesn't mix well in the blood. It doesn't mix, it's like oil and water. So it needs something to take it around. And that something is SHBG. So it's bound to that, about 60% of it, or is bound to albumin, and then there's free. So the things that you test for are total, free, SHBG, DHT, and I test for estrogens, uh, estradiol, and things like that to see what's converting into what. So if there is too much SHBG, or it, it doesn't let go, right, because it's supposed to let go of some testosterone, so it could go to the receptors, then we have to look at that. But sometimes you can have a guy with testosterone of 700, but their low is too low. Or you can have a guy with testosterone of 350, 400, but their free is good. So they don't really have symptoms. So it's free testosterone that we're looking for. And the testosterone benefits come from free testosterone, not just total testosterone. That's just a small taste of the amazing show we have for you today. Hey, before we get started, I want to talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that, of course, is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. And if you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you are placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. And Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 25 different labs in one single place. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. So if you are a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create a free account today. Now, let's get on with the show. Dr. Gio, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's about time. We need more more information on men's health. What's the problem with everyone? I mean, come on, a lot of women talk and not enough on men's health. So I'm really happy to be here to share some of the knowledge and expertise with your audience. Well, you're going to be our first 
foray into men's health because you're right, it gets neglected. I, when people listen to this, they're going to know that Dr. Gio is what kicked us off and what's going on with men. So I love it. I mean, I mean who else would I go to other than you? <laughs> and that's what I think, but that, maybe I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those who don't know you, why don't you give us a little background into why you are the men's health guru, who you are and what you do? Well, thank you, Carrie. And it's such a pleasure again to be here. So I'm a naturopathic functional medicine doctor. I specialize in urology and men's health. <laughs> Why? I'm still, I don't know. But 20 years later, here I am. And I think I just decided to take the road less traveled 20 years ago. At the time, all our colleagues were telling me that I'm absolutely crazy and that I will go broke by doing men's health. I decided not to listen. And I decided to go even more narrow and deep into urological conditions and mental health. So I started with, I had the great opportunity to work at Columbia University, the Center for Holistic Urology with Aaron Katz. He's an MD in a normal urology department at a Columbia University. Then I transferred over to NYU where I'm faculty there and running integrative and functional urology uh, program there. For the last 20 years, I've been doing that kind of work. A lot of it is curiosity and to figure me out a little bit as well, <laughs> right? <laughs> no shame in that, of course. It's why I went into hormones. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I wanted to figure things out from a several things that men have that women don't have. So a prostate, right? So what's the deal with this organ and how does it work? And Man, it gives a lot of people problems as they get older. Is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it inevitable? These are the kinds of questions that I began asking. Certain about penile health and looking into that. Again, things that women don't have. Semen, looking at the, the health of semen and why is it important. Looking at testosterone. Of course, women do have testosterone, but men have 20 times, 25 times more than women. So looking at all those things with intense curiosity, and a lot of our colleagues have told me recently, look, I can't believe you. I would be so bored doing the same thing over again. Not here. There's so much to know and learn. And I'm in PubMed every day reading about 10 papers, reading research. And it's just so much to learn about male functionality and how to keep the prostate and urological function healthy and how can men live longer and better with age. So, yeah, that's the story, the story in a nutshell there. No pun intended. No pun intended. I was just going to ask you. <laughs> a lot of puns in our conversation. So let's get that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's not, it's when you think of men's health, a lot of times people automatically go to testosterone. And we see a lot of these just testosterone only clinics pop up. I have non-medical friends who say to me, I went to a testosterone clinic. I was told I have low testosterone. I was given testosterone, but it's beyond testosterone. There's more than just testosterone. So my opening question for you is, Given your wide, vast knowledge, what do you think are the biggest issues facing men and men's health today? The biggest, well, overall, you look, hormonal is definitely one of them. But if you, if you were to put a gun in my head, so what's the number one issue? The number one issue is, I would say, is stress and mental health issues with men. Well, Gio, you know, of course, women too. Yeah, not arguing that, but historically, and the data still shows that men struggle quite a bit and they, they're more, quote unquote, suicidal and they take more aggressive action towards that. So I think stress and mental health issue is the number one thing still that then contributes to other chronic conditions, whether it's heart disease, even prostate problems or things like that. And then there's some sort of imbalance in hormones as a result of that. So if, you, if we're looking for causal, yes, 
low testosterone or testosterone imbalances with estrogen, that's an issue. But what's causing that? What's causing that is, well, all right, you push, I'm going to say two things, mental health issues and environmental issues. Uh, too many xenoestrogens that we're exposed to. And those are the kinds of things that I think are the primary cause to many of our problems, health problems. And I, honestly, I wasn't expecting you to say that, but I'm thrilled that you did because, and I hate to stereotype, but there is the stereotype that men historically don't go to the doctor or they don't have yeah. the emotional support outlets yeah. or it's harder to recognize or for them to admit anxiety and depression compared to their female counterparts who maybe are more yeah. ready to go to the doctor, have a better, more intimate, talkative community, supportive community, and are willing to raise their hand and say, I have depression or anxiety or I'm struggling. Is that an unfortunate stereotype or do you see that as well in your practice? Well, look, there are differences. So I have, I have to be very careful with what I say. I have teenage daughters. And mm. I think all I know about women's health is through my own family with my wife. And I, we learned it in school, but I haven't really done a deep dive in women's health in 20 years. So, But I can see. <laughs> I have eyes. <laughs> and certainly when my daughters turn 13 and 14, I'm, wait a minute, what's happening here? And then around the same time that my wife is perimenopausal and I'm like, whoa, this is different. This is, there's levels to this. And so then I learned, honestly, um, the, the biological effects of what women go through in, with hormones. And I see, right? So the girls, uh, my daughters, they you know, want to talk and, and things like that. And, and that's kind of an outlet for them. They have friends, my wife, friends, and she'll talk. On average, men don't do all those things that are probably helpful, right? They don't have a social good social group of people outside of their families because the reality is that men are not going to open up to their wife for the most part. There are still vulnerabilities, even as it relates to husband and wife, mm -hmm. that they don't want to disclose. We are very protective about not being too vulnerable in scenarios and protective of, the, you could say, ego and things like that. All that, as best as I know, is indeed testosterone driven. Mm -hmm. So vulnerabilities are an issue. Opening up is an issue. Relationships outside of the family are issues. Who has time? Men are working hard to provide. Men don't care about health on average. Men don't care about health. They care about performance. And they only care about their health to the degree that their performance is being threatened. And that's pretty much what it is. Mm -hmm. So I think that we have an opportunity to kind of change things around. My next door neighbor, we have a, a relationship for the last five years where two days a week, he comes to my house at 630 in the morning. I have a garage gym and we call it lift and learn, lift and learn. So what we do is we lift weights and we do strength training. And at the same time, we discuss anything, whether it's politics or challenges that we're having with our children or with our spouse, or business ideas, or this or the other, and then we go back and lift, and we go back and forth. That is rewarding to me. He, he thinks is only rewarding to him because I know how to lift. And he, no, no, it's rewarding to me too, because we can interact, and we have a strong friendship. And little by little, now it does take a long time for a man to open up. If there's an opportunity, it takes a while. I would say it takes years. But little by little, we've been able to open up more and more and allow each other into their own, to the other person's life a little bit more where we really get to know each other well. So I think it's great to do that, but most men don't. And just stress and anxiety management. How do, what do you do with that? How do you do it? All these issues, I think, affects uh, 
Men tend to catastrophize quite a bit. So the world is about to end kind of scenario when there's like the PSA is like five, Mm -hmm. which is the biomarker for prostate. That's just an example. They tend to catastrophize quite a bit. And the other thing is, I'm sorry to go on and on because uh, so this is an area that I put a lot of thought into. The other thing is this, what stresses men most is not the known. So if they have a high PSA and they get a prostate biopsy, and then they get, they see that they have prostate cancer, it's almost like a relief. Thank goodness. Finally, at least I know what I have. All right, what do we do now? Right. But that high PSA and not knowing if it's cancer, waiting for that report is way more stressful than to know, right? So the unknown for men across the board, longevity, when am I going to die, family, your business, it, that is more stressful to men than, than to know. I'll stop there. I could keep going, <laughs> I could keep going on that. No, and I think it's important to recognize that men can have anxiety and depression also, right? It's often associated as a more female slanted condition, probably just because it's more talked about, it's more written about, it's you see it in TV shows and movies and magazines, et cetera, et cetera. But I know a fair number of men who struggle with anxiety and it can get minimized or blown off or treated differently because it's well, you're a man, man up. Yeah. When in fact, they need There's a lot of that. just as much help. They need just as much support as anyone else. It's a situation like why we don't ask for directions. <laughs> yeah. Right? Why we just don't. And I've even caught my, because I am trying to be mindful of my actions and behaviors and then try to figure out why. I tell you it is, and this is why I love when GPSs came out. I love it because I don't have to ask anybody for directions for anything, right? I, I use my Google Maps, my ways, and I'm good to go. So it goes back to that showing weakness of any kind, even in your own head. I mean, what's the big deal? You're just asking for direction is a sign of weakness. So we don't want to be weak or vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think that, again, observing females in my life, you talk more, you just talk more and you let it out sometimes a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guilty. I'll admit it. <laughs> all right, all right. Can we tone it back just a little? I mean, I understand. Really, believe me, I think it's good. I wish I could do that. Just tone it back just a, just a little bit. Just, just, right? But you let it out of your system. We don't. We keep it inside. Leave us in a little corner and we're trying to figure things out. And sometimes, yeah, we figure out solutions and other times it just perpetuates the problem because we need to let it out somehow. So Right, right. Well, and you mentioned hormones, of course, and, and testosterone playing a role in this. And we've there's so many studies and articles around the declining testosterone in men. Is testosterone, is that real? Is it really declining? Yeah. So after the age of 30, men lose, uh, they lose about one to two percent of their total testosterone every year after the age of 30. We could take that conversation anywhere you want. But is always a question of, is that nature or nurture? Is it a situation where this is the way it is, nothing you could do about it, or is a lifestyle aspect to that? So, but that's on average what happens. And I've definitely read, speaking of nature or nurture, that the testosterone levels of the average man in the 1950s compared to the average man in the 2000s is very different with the average testosterone being much higher back then. Is that true as well? That's kind of the data that I have as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's go into that. What contributes to that, whether it is nature or nurture? Right. So there, I feel like I'm talking to you every time I give any talk. I said, well, there's the data and there's Dr. Geo's opinion. There's always two parts of the story. Yeah, I like both. I like both. 
my opinion may matter just because I see patterns with seeing so many men, thousands of men in my clinic. So, but there's a difference. Well, in terms of data, there's very little other than these kinds of retrospective studies that show men back then did this and now current men have less testosterone. I think that, so you have to look at the lifestyle that men have after the age of 30, mm. right? So what happens, right? So 20s is oftentimes you're, you have no worries, right? It's just having fun and figuring out how to have more fun. And sometimes it, well, these days it's still living at home sometimes, but even back then it's just having fun, work and no kids, no real responsibilities, Starting around age 30, then responsibilities increase significantly. And you start having a marriage. And sometimes that is even in the healthiest marriage, that could be stressful because you're going through a change. Both you and the partner are going through a change. It's trying to figure out how to live together and live in the same environment and so forth. And it's kids. And I have three. So I could tell you that people say, well, if you have two, you can have three. If you have three, you can four. No, 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 I'm sorry. Every time you have one child, that increases everything by 20 to 30%. Cost, stress, responsibilities, everything, less sleep. So no. So that is a stressful. In fact, now that my kids are 18, 17, and 10, I'm actually my healthiest. I'm able, but when they were really young, I don't, I look at those pictures. I was like, I can't believe I was a healthcare practitioner at that time. I don't look like one. It's just less sleep, more stress, figuring things out. And so that's that. So starting 30, these things happen. So as a result of less sleep, less exercise, eating more crap, because of course, when you're stressed, <laughs> I mean, that's the other thing. What are you going to do when you're stressed? What You're going to find what makes you feel good now, not broccoli that's going to make me feel good tomorrow, <laughs> right? I'm not looking for broccoli if I'm stressed. I'm looking for either booze or a hamburger, a cheeseburger with French fries and soda. Yep. So then that just makes matters worse. So you got to look at their life, that, that phase of one's life. So I think that all has to do with it as opposed to just, well, this is the way it is. And you know, as men get older, they, they're going to start losing testosterone. So What about chemicals? Right. So then the exposure. So then that could be a major difference between now and 1950s, where now we, are, we have more, way more exposure to these xenoestrogens that are chemical estrogens in our environment that we're exposed to now that mimics estrogen in our bodies. And then that causes a imbalance between testosterone and estrogen, right? So when you're 25, it's testosterone here, estrogen here. And then as you get older, that ratio decreases. And then that's the problem. So the problem is just not estrogen in the body of the man. The problem is that ratio. Mm. And because estrogen has, there's benefits, just like there's benefits in women having testosterone, there's benefits in, in men having estrogen, estradiol. So there's a certain ratio that's important. And then when that ratio becomes lower, then that's a problem. So yeah, the xenoestrogens, I would say, so we said, what's the cause? The cause is stress and environmental. Okay, right. Those are the two main health problems in men. Right back to the beginning again. Yeah. Well, actually, so just so if somebody doesn't know, can you explain how a man makes testosterone? Where does he make it from? Sure. What is it? Circadian, things like that. Just the basics. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Something that I, I hate to talk about, right? <laughs> so let's reverse engineer it. Testosterone is made in the cells of the testicles called the Leydig cells. And it's important because then you have the Sertoli cells that does something else. The Leydig cells... They have certain receptors in the testicle 
that receives a hormone that comes from above that then creates testosterone, okay? So what hormone is that? That hormone is luteinizing hormone or LH that comes from the brain, uh, middle part called the pituitary gland, that it's stimulated by gonadotropic releasing hormone from the hypothalamus. So there's a cascade of events that occurs, right? So it's gonadotropin releasing hormones. And this is like stimulation by something, whether it's hormones or some other event in the body that stimulates the release of gonadotropin releasing hormone to LH. And then LH travels to the testicles. And the latex cells are very specific to these luteinizing hormones. Also HCG as well where they can make testosterone, right? So any disruption in that circuit will stop the process of making testosterone, including, so one of the things that does seem to happen, if we want to geek out just a tad, one of the things that happens is that as men get older, they make less latex cells with less receptors, or the receptors kind of don't work as well, right? So there's a, so hormones and receptors is locking key, right? You have a key, it fits perfectly, and then you switch, and then you can open the door. Well, sometimes you can put in a key, but you can't switch. You can turn it to the right, right? And sometimes the key just doesn't fit, right? So that's the analogy as it relates to hormones and general, certainly testosterone and receptors in the latex cells. So that happens as men age. Again, is it environmental or is it just the way it is? I think it's mostly environmental and lifestyle and things like that, not just getting older. Or there's a disruption going on somewhere in that cascade. One of the, so we were talking about stress, right? Mm -hmm. So stress actually lowers the amount of testosterone that men produce. Why? Because of the, another chemical called cortisol. So this is one liner. I haven't hashtagged yet. Maybe I should. I don't think along those lines, but cortisol castrates. Oh, wow. You're a social media queen. Is that a good one? Hashtag. That would be, that'll make a point. (laughs) (laughs) Cortisol castrates, right? So excess cortisol stops the release of, interrupts that luteinizing hormone from getting into the latex cells, right? So that's that. When you have also, so remember, there's a negative feedback system. So there's a lot of testosterone going on. The gonadotropin releasing hormone stops being produced because we have plenty, right? Checks and balance. But also, if you have too much of many other type of hormones, if you have a lot of estrogen, it stops gonadotropin-releasing hormone, mm. right? If you're hyperestrogenetic, hyperestrogenic, that's what I meant to say, <laughs> that stops GnRH. If you have too much DHT, dihydrotestosterone, right? So testosterone is converted also to DHT and androgen, and those receptors are for testosterone. They're even stronger for DHT mm-hmm. and it stays there longer. That, that lock and key stays there even longer with DHT than even testosterone. When there's a lot of DHT, signals are sent that we're good. We don't need more. So that's how testosterone is made. And when it's not made at proper levels, then that's what's happening. And how do you test testosterone? You know, I, th- I would have men comment or I would have... I, you know, I had a few male patients when I was in practice and they were like, no, no, my testosterone's good. I got a total testosterone. It's just fine. Yeah. That's, I'm like, is that the only thing you had run? Yep. That's it. Just a total. Right. What do you do? Well, they tell me that I said, listen, did you read me up on the internet? Cause you would know that that's not only what I'm looking for. I mean, are you in the right office here? 
the urologists or endocrinologists is next door. Come on, man, you know better. Yep. What I look at, so here's the deal. And you're right, because that's a lot of, and I think that's because of insurance reasons that, that they only have total testosterone. What matters is free testosterone, period, end of story. So we take it a step further for your listening audience, right? So then testosterone is bound to several things. It's bound to what's called sex hormone binding globulin. So this is like a little, let's just call it a little taxi that brings in the testosterone and it's able to take testosterone around. Why? Because testosterone is lipid soluble. So it doesn't mix well in the blood. It doesn't mix, it's like oil and water. So it needs something to take it around. And that something is SHBG. So it's bound to that, about 60% of it, or is bound to albumin, and then there's free. So the things that you test for are total, free, SHBG, DHT, and I test for estrogens, uh, estradiol, and things like that to see what's converting into what. So if there is too much SHBG, or it doesn't let go, right, because it's supposed to let go, of some testosterone, so it could go to the receptors, then we have to look at that. But sometimes you have what would be considered at these testosterone clinics, low testosterone, what's low? So depending on the labs that you use is 300 to 800 or 300 to 1,000. That's normal. That's a wide range, first of all. Huge, yeah. Right, that's wide. But you can have a guy with testosterone of 700, but their low is too low. Or you can have a guy with testosterone of 350, 400, but their free is good. So they don't really have symptoms. So it's free testosterone that we're looking for. And the testosterone benefits come from free testosterone, not just total testosterone. So total testosterone, I think it's pretty much a waste of time. Now, part of the reason why that's what's ordered and not more is because free testosterone is longer to get those results and it's way more expensive than total. But it's going to give you way more of the picture. The information that you're actually looking for. Right. It, so yeah, yeah. That's why some of the labs, like I like Vibrant. We can talk about labs, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I like Vibrant quite a bit because you can, at a reasonable price, which I think it's worthwhile and worth it, they can get order a slew of tests and hormone tests that I think are valuable. So that's the story there. So it's free testosterone that we're looking for. Why do we, in women, it's a time of the cycle, that we order, not necessarily a time of the day, but in men, all the labs are like, go first thing, go right in the morning. Yeah. Don't wait until the afternoon or lunch or evening. Right. Why is that? Because the, so this is why sleep is important. And this is why men stop producing testosterone after the age of 30, because they're not sleeping. And how much sleep do you need? You need about seven hours. Now, I tell that to patients and they just think I'm crazy because these are New Yorkers. In New York, right, there's no such thing as, I never say, are you a type A personality? I just say, are you type A1 or type A2? <laughs> because you're definitely type A. So once I start talking about more uh, seven hours or more, they start looking at me like I have three heads. All right. So that is the issue because testosterone is made during phase three or phase four of the sleep cycle. So that everything I said about latex and all that, that's made there. So Earlier in the morning are your highest levels. So yeah, getting it in the, uh, more in the morning around eight o'clock or nine. There's a circadian component, as you implied, to chemicals in the body, not only heart and blood pressure and everything, including testosterone. So highest in the morning and it gets lower throughout the day and so forth. So that's how it works. And I, I, think, so I think sleep gets blown off quite a bit. I would agree. I don't think it matters if you're a male or a female. 
But I was reading a study that talks about men getting sleep just down to five hours, going from seven to five, and the impact it has on testosterone production. 100%. And I, so many men in my life are like, five hours, That's I'm up gaming, or I'm up with my new baby, or I'm up because I'm an entrepreneur, or I'm up because my kids can't yeah. sleep, or I'm up because I'm stressed out. Like it's, They're like, yeah, five hours is just is about right. It's like, well, no wonder you're struggling with some of these lower testosterone symptoms, because just, just that, that drop of two hours in sleep is impacting how you make testosterone. 30 minutes of sleep makes a difference. <gasps> I didn't know that. 30 minutes. I def- even I'm not saying, well, I'm saying a, a difference of 30 minutes. So if you could sleep 30 minutes more, that makes it. Because people say, well, if I'm going to, it's not two hours more, I'm just going to sleep my five, four hours. 30 minutes, you get 30 minutes more, you get closer to the goal. Mm-hmm. Correct. And you're saying, well, I don't sleep more than five hours. New Yorkers? entrepreneur. That's, that's a lot for them. If I say five hours, they still look at me like I'm crazy. So they're like, no, I'm good with four. Oh no, no. I do well with four. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't. You don't believe me. You don't Now, Well, how, well, Dr. Gio, how come I feel energetic and I get things done it, brother? That's adrenaline. That's adrenaline. That's pure adrenaline. So you're functioning only on adrenaline and that's not the long game that we're after. So that's the conversation. If you are a fly in my office, that's the conversation. And I do say brother. I do say that. I love it. No, I, I mean, whatever gets the point across. <laughs> well, and with young men, I'm just seeing and hearing more and more, whether friends, colleagues, yeah. social media, men in their late 20s, early 30s, diagnosed with low testosterone, going on testosterone. Mm. Is that... Any erectile dysfunction. An erectile dysfunction. Yes. Yes, that it to me, what I would consider a young age, relatively speaking. Are you you seen that? A hundred percent. And there are people around my age that can't believe it. They're saying, when I was 25, I, I needed something to calm down. <laughs> bring it down. Yeah, to calm down a little. I got I was like, I was taking cold showers every day. And it wasn't for a longevity or anti-aging reasons <laughs> like we do now. I, I was taking these cold showers every day. Right. I was like, yep, 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 yep. What's happening is that the body is aging faster because of many reasons. Even more exposure to estrogens. Guys are fat. Even if they're slim, they're slim fat. So higher estrogen in a man's body are for two reasons. Either xenoestrogens or estrogens in the environment that you're exposed to, or aromatase, where fat cells convert testosterone to estrogen. So the fatter you are, or the more fat you hold, we don't want to shame anybody for sure. Mm-hmm. The more fat you have or adipose tissue, the more of that is converted to estrogen, right? So that's those are the two reasons. Okay, so that's that. Guys are more sedentary now because got their phones. Right? Yeah. So they're more sedentary. Guys are more stressed. Well, Gio, how do you know? Well, I don't for sure. But I know when I was 25 and I see you guys now and it's different. Well, and you see thousands of patients in your practice. I mean, you have so much ridiculous exactly. case studies right. to back it up. Right. And I look at patterns, right? They are, guys are stressed because I think that modern technology in the digital world, here we are, we're using it and it's great. So there's a lot of benefit. I have access to so much research and papers that I don't even know what to do with it. This is great. So a lot of benefits. There's downside, right? There's downside. Yep. I have teenage girls, right? You know what social media is clear. The data is very clear that 
the anxiety and depression that teenage girls are experiencing is unlike we've ever seen. And the suicide rates are like unlike we're so we have these some, but it also affects adults and it also affects men and particularly men in their 20s, right? So overuse of digital devices that make them feel like they're not enough. Certainly girls feel like they're not pretty enough and they're not smart enough and their nose is too big or too small and they're they're not thin enough and blah, blah, blah. And men are too. Men is the opposite. They don't feel like they are big enough mm-hmm. or strong enough and blah, 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 and blah, 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 right? So I think the digital world has made matters worse for men. It have, have made young men more unhealthy. So their body is aging faster. And lastly, I think they're, um, as it's too erectile dysfunction, men, I think there's just too much porn watching, pornography. I've seen those stats. Yeah. When you have a 25, 30 year old, remember the internet came about about, about 20 years ago, 22 years ago, roughly. They were born with these devices in their hands and they had access to porn way more easily than I did when I was in my teens or they're 12, 13 years old before even being physically and sexually active, getting ideas of how sex works and getting subliminal messages suggesting that their organ is just not big enough and other kinds of messed up ideas that they're getting from watching porn. So what's happening with these 25-year-olds? They are stressed out of their minds. Uh, Yes, career is part of that. But the other part is just way too much digital exposure and watching things like porn since they were very, very young. So that's what's happening there. Well, then my next question is, of course, going to be around other than testosterone replacement, if it's applicable, like what can men do to raise and improve the health of their testosterone? But I think you just nailed it on the head with everything you just said, everything from sleep to chemicals, to stress management, to digital reduction, et cetera, et cetera. So here's the deal. Let's break that down a little bit. It is assumed that if I just do TRT, easy fix, I could be a man again and no problems. And that's a bad assumption. Not only is it a bad assumption, it's a very expensive assumption because these TRT clinics could be $2,000 or more or $3,000 a month, but it's a poor assumption. Okay. I am not opposed to TRT, but in my practice, eight out of 10 people that come with low testosterone, I'm able to raise it 300 points or more with natural therapeutics. Okay. That's significant. Yeah, that's right. Two out of 10, they're just so down and out that they can't even start to think of doing anything that I'm asking them to do. So they get a little testosterone and they get their life back. So I am not opposed to it. I just think that like Viagra or Cialis, you're not addressing the, wait a minute, am I in the right podcast? The root cause? Am I, I in was the right, like, am I, look at the name of the podcast. <laughs> what's the, the root cause medicine? So this is it. Imagine that. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is, so you're not addressing the root cause of the problem. I'm not opposed to Viagra or Cialis. You're not addressing the root cause of the problem. Okay, so testosterone replacement does not address your stressful life. In fact, now you have testosterone of 1200 and you're going to blow up on somebody. That's what's going to happen. And you're going to have road rage if you're not careful. And you're going to scream at your wife or even worse, start looking for other girls outside of, you know, a lot of things. So it's not addressing the cause of the problem. So particularly, in a, you're not going to give testosterone to a 25 year or 30 year old. You're not doing that. It can induce infertility. They probably still, you cannot do that. 
So I think that once my conversations with them is what are the stuff that I just mentioned and acknowledging those things is the first part, because sometimes, honestly, they don't know. Mm-hmm. They just don't know the impact of sleeping better, a better quality, better quantity. They just don't know. And for them is, no, I'll sleep when I die. I mean, I don't want to sleep. I want to keep working and doing more. Okay. So these things I use, I have them exercise in a very specific way, not ultra endurance event or endurance events. So marathon runners, I tell them, nope, you need to scale back. I know why you like it. It's a good feeling. But if you're interested in getting your tee up, you can't be training and doing triathlons and marathons. It's just not how it's going to work. Okay. They need to do weight training, particularly a bigger muscle. And I have a certain prescription for that, how much, what intensity, blah, blah, blah. Rest time between sets. So their diet needs to be a high fat diet. I wouldn't say ketogenic, but there needs to be more fat. Cholesterol is actually, you make testosterone from cholesterol in the latex cells. So you need cholesterol. So you want to stay away from statins if you can, right? And you want to, you need a higher fat diet. And of course, it's good fats, not trans fats or things like that. And lastly, I use certain botanicals and nutrients that I think work very well. So I'm not opposed to TRT, but I just see, I just see, well, what I've seen is that, yes, yeah, some of these guys do very well, but then it's like they make too much estrogen. So they aromatize too much. And then you have to deal with that. Do you give them an aromatase inhibitor? Do you give them a comophene or they make too much DHT? DHT is not a big problem at all. But too much of it can, yeah, so it's like all sorts of issues. And sometimes they have their testosterone gets to 800 or so, and they still don't feel good or sexual right? or have good libido. Why? Because you want to know why? This is a good one. Yeah. We were going to, and you can cut me off if we're running out of time, Carrie, but I could. No, we still have to talk about the prop. We're going to still do a couple sentences on the prostate, but tell us why. Oh, man. All right. So men need estrogen for libido as well. They need some estrogen. So there is cardiovascular benefits from estrogen. There is bone health benefits in men from estrogen. And there's some libido benefits. So you put a guy on Clomid, which now their testosterone is 800, but their estrogen levels is like 10. And that estrogen level, that ratio is not that good. So they have testosterone, but they're like, they they still don't feel right. That's because their estrogen levels are too low. Which is often what you don't think. Men often think, oh, my estrogen must be really high. Lower, better. Lower, better. Yep. This is the problem with male hormones and mismanagement of male hormones. Lower, better. Like cholesterol, lower, better. Lower, better. Eh, No, 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 no. no. That's not how it works. Same thing with estrogen. Same thing with testosterone in women, right? So you need, so I like to have my patients around 20 to 30. I think the units are picograms per liter, I think, of estrogen. Around 20. And this is serum levels, 20 to 30. Okay. Not a whole lot higher than 30. Unless, but I do want my ratios to be 20 to 25 to one total to estrogen. Okay. So roughly, that's roughly around 20, 30, 35 testosterone is 900, but not a whole lot much higher than that. Once you get higher than that, then you have all these estrogenic issues that you don't want. So that's a good takeaway, I think. And let's, because we are running out a little bit of time, but I don't want to forget the prostate because I think it often, as you know, it gets neglected. Men don't want to talk about it. Doctors, your general practitioner maybe doesn't want to talk about it a lot or know a lot about it. And these hormones, testosterone, DHT, estrogen, estradiol have a big impact on the prostate. So what age do men need to worry about their prostate? (laughs) 
Oh my god! And what is the prostate? Let's let, maybe we should start there. <laughs> I know. How much time? How much time do we have? How much time do we have? We'll have to have a part. We'll do a part two, but I want to make sure that this doesn't get neglected. All right. So the prostate is a sexual gland that's right beneath the bladder, and its only purpose is for conception. Other than men think that this purpose is to give them a hard time as they get older, but that's not the case. The purpose of the prostate is for conception. It releases this molecule called PSA along with semen, and then the semen is involved in the sperm cells from the semen is involved in conception, right? And let's see, as men get older, on average, the prostate tends to become bigger. Mm. So let's just say when a 25-year-old, their prostate is about 20 grams, about the size of a walnut. As men get older, not all the time, but oftentimes it gets bigger, 40 grams, 600. I've seen 250 grams, which is like an orange. I've seen that big. Huge. Yeah. So what's causing that in A and B? Is it a problem? I'll make this quick. A, what's causing that? Numerous things are causing that. Certainly hormonal aspects are causing estrogen and too much estrogen. So that ratio we spoke about before, too much estrogen, that will make the prostate bigger and DHT to some degree as well. But it's not only DHT, is also estrogen. Okay? So that's the main thing. And these estrogenic problems are it causing it. These xenoestrogens from the environment are causing it as well. And chronic inflammation around the prostate causes the prostate to kind of grow as well, right? So those are the two main reasons why the prostate grows. Or you can have, so that's that. Now, a bigger prostate does not necessarily mean that's a problem, Mm. unless it is. So people think, people equate bigger prostate urinary problems, no question. Nope, not necessarily. You can have a small prostate and have urinary problems. Have a big prostate, not have urine. I had a guy 200 grams, no urinary problems. Wow. None, none, right? So that's cool. And it doesn't predispose the person to prostate cancer either. So there's no real issues from having a big prostate unless it's squeezing the urethra. And if it's squeezing the urethra, it could be big or small, then that's a problem. The only problem that a man can experience from having a big prostate is, in some cases, erectile dysfunction. Because the nerves that innervate the penis come around the prostate. So now if it gets too big, it starts squeezing those nerves. And it stops the transmission of a nerve impulse to the penis. So in a very big prostate, that's the thing that one can experience. But it doesn't always lead to urinary problems. Sometimes it does. And it has no relationship with prostate cancer. That's really helpful to know. And then one last question. At what age should men be getting a PSA test? When do you start as a screening? Dr. Gio, the data suggests 50. Dr. Gio suggests 40. Here's the deal very quickly. I see too many guys 44, 45 with advanced prostate cancer. The reason for that is because that's the first time they ever got a PSA. They get a PSA is 25 or 30. Get a PSA at 40, period. Period. Nothing to lose. You have a baseline. If you have a strong family history, then you get it every year still. Or if you have some genetic mutations like BRCA2, you get it every year. But if you don't have family history, brother, father, no genetic history, then you get it every, if you do, you get it once a year and make sure it's low and you see the trend. If you don't, you may get it at 45 the following time, but you have, you lose nothing by getting a PSA at the age of 40. And for some people, they may save their life, honestly. Yeah. And they're not that a PSA is not that expensive. It's not. And let's be proactive here. I mean, this is the root cause medicine podcast. So let's be proactive. 
Yeah. And the thing is, let's be proactive, Carrie. And the other thing is, look, I only work with urologists and medical doctors. I'm the only naturopathic doctor in my whole, I think certainly the whole probably hospital, but certainly neurology, right? And I see what these guys do and they do amazing work. I mean, these are amazing people who do amazing work, but they're trained the way they're trained and they only have 15 minutes because they have 30 patients to see. So if you don't ask the proper questions, they're not going to do it. If you're 40 years old going to an office, but even a GP, they're not going to get, because they're listening to these guidelines that are not good saying, well, let's not do PSA because you're only 40. No, no, no. Ask for it. And that's part of being proactive. And that's why I am a big advocate to uh, the consumer being educated and making informed decisions. Which is why also, when you said earlier, if you're going to ask for testosterone, get more than just total. Ask for a free, ask for a SHBG, ask for estradiol, ask for a complete workup as opposed to just a total. Look, a bit biased maybe, but get a naturopathic functional medicine doctor. Heck yeah. <laughs> as part of your team. I'm serious. The thing is that we, look, I work with you, again, I work with you, they do amazing work. Look, if you can't pee, they do a terp, and now you're peeing like you were 15 years old. I mean, it's amazing work. I'll say one more thing, and I promise this is it. This is it. I promise. Integrative medicine, right? I believe in it. Look, 10, eight years ago, I had a patient in my office comes in, doc, I can't pee. I have so much pain in my scrotum. Oh, easy, prostatitis. Okay, get on this protocol. He gets on a protocol. He calls me, doc, I'm doing worse. I'm like, okay, no problem. Got more, higher, increase the dosage. Calls me again. Look, I'm crying in the bathroom mm. and my six-year-old son is listening to me and he's crying because I'm crying. I'm like, shit, this is, look, go to my colleague. He goes to my colleague and he discovered that he had a urinary stricture from years that just got worse right around the urethra. It's not prostatitis. So A, I learned a lot from that. B, he got it surgery removed. 10 years later, I see him. Oh, doc, thank you so much. I'm still doing great. Turns out he had a urinary stricture since he was in college Wow! because he was talking about how long it used to be for him to pee. And all his fraternity brothers was laughing at him because he said he used to take like five minutes in the bathroom. You ignore it, of course. What would a teenager do? And it just got progressively worse. 20 years later, this is what it is. So by no means am I knocking the medical establishment. And they, they are such a important, particularly urologists. I really admire what they do. I've been in the operating room when they do a prostatectomy. That's art. That's art. That the, removing a prostate and then bringing back the other tissue so they can actually pee well, it's something that I'm still amazed by it. However, to address most male and neurological problems, you really have to think a little bit outside the box in a science based foundation, no question, and think holistically. Holistically. And I think that's what men need a naturopathic functional medicine doctor on their team. And I'm done. I was going to say, given that this is the Root Cause Medicine podcast, and we have been talking predominantly about testosterone, what are the like, other than that, get an ND on your team, like, what are the top one or two tips that you want to leave listeners with today that they just close out this podcast, Dr. Gio said, and they implement? So you have to manage stress better. And that along with that comes, you got to sleep more and you can manage stress better and sleep more if it's a priority for you. Mm -hmm. And there's ways to do that, figure that out, okay? And the other is that I'm a huge fan of the proper and targeted nutraceuticals. I take tons myself, and I think they, they keep me really young at my age and doing things that I couldn't do at 25. So 
figure out what are the targeted nutraceuticals you need. Of course, vitamin D is a, should be a no-brainer, although I hear people talking nonsense out there. I'm like, talking nonsense. Don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> so vitamin D, but there's other botanicals that can really keep you going, uh, keep you going well and strong. And the goal, never lose sight of the goal. You are in the long game, not the short game. So yes, you want to perform well today and tomorrow. No problem. Me too. But I want to perform well 20 years from now, which means that if I have grandchildren, I want to be able to go play basketball with a team with my teenage grandchild at that point. And I, my eldest is 18, so I hope to have ways to go. But you get my point. So yeah. you're in the long game, address stress, sleep and get the proper nutraceuticals and you do great. That is excellent. Excellent closure. Dr. Gio, where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you? see you, learn from you, read about you. Thank you. All things related to Dr. Gio and the podcast isn't on uh, drgeo.com. So that's D-R-G-E-O.com. It is an insider newsletter that I only my readers get to get in terms of here's what you do here, really good actionable information. And then the Dr. Gio podcast, which you can find through Dr. Gio. And then finally, for practitioners, there will be a master class on all things urology and men's health at the I'm co-founder of the Integrative and Functional Urology Institute. And that's going to be online courses that we will have for prostate cancer and benign urological problems. Carrie, thank you so much. I see you have Kara's uh, uh, book, Younger You, there. That's my girl. Love that book. Good stuff. Yeah, we went to school together. We graduated together. So oh. known her a long time. But it's, I mean, it's the the uh, idea is the same. Younger you, whether you're male or female, right? Long game. I love that you said long game. So everyone go check out Dr. Geo at drgeo.com. Thank you again, my friend, for being on. Pleasure. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.